0: I'm delighted to be here to talk about uh, research that I published uh, with ACM, and I presented last year in 2020 when things were still normal in Barcelona at the Fat Star conference. Um, and so the paper is entitled "From Ethics Washing to Ethics Bashing: A View from Within Moral Philosophy," actually a view on tech ethics from within moral philosophy. Um, and the idea for this paper started really just discussing with friends across disciplines on uh, the language of technology ethics and the way different people thought very differently about what was going on in this space. And indeed, there is a lot of hype around tech ethics, or at least there was until recently. Um, lots of funding, lots of people claiming expertise, lots of conferences. Uh, a lot of attention, publication, et cetera. Um, and yet there's very little agreement or clarity around what we mean by technology ethics, whether this language really has content or whether each uh, group, discipline, entity is talking about something different. Um, so the, the, the aim of this paper initially was really to try and distinguish uh, two ways of understanding ethics on the one hand we have what ethics is said to be about Uh, so it could be um, a sort of abstract neutral acontextual um, exercise in moral reasoning Um, and or it could be a self-interested rhetoric happening within corporate um, entities and on the other hand we have what ethics could be which is a principled methodology for evaluating and bridging disagreements uh, that have to do with politics, that have to do with the social dimensions of technology um, and society more generally. And obviously, between uh, writing and publishing this paper and today, things have happened in this field, as always lots of things happen in this field. Um, And some of the significant things that happened include um, the willingness of tech companies like IBM, Amazon, and Microsoft to scale down some of their facial recognition technologies in response to calls and pressures from academics in AI ethics. Um, So some of these companies, including IBM, have stopped selling uh, some of their technologies to law enforcement, um, at least in the US, which is a big development on the other hand uh, bad things happened as well uh, and so uh, notably and very recently two high-profile uh, tech ethics researchers were fired from google in december teamnet gibru was fired and just last last week um, margaret mitchell was fired as well and so you can see and both of them were part of the same team And so these these developments are really interesting and uh, I hope to discuss them more during this talk and I hope that maybe people will have questions. Um, But I think it's really interesting because it repositions and reframes some of these debates about the meaning of tech ethics, whether what's happening in this space is just corporate kind of ethics washing as they call it and as I'm gonna be describing, or if actually it does have real life consequences. And the fact that these researchers were fired in pretty abrupt ways does indicate that um, they were in some sense thorns in Google's side and did have some effect uh, that were bothering companies. So maybe the fact that they were fired is actually proof that something was happening and that things were being shaken up. so what this paper is about really is about trying to um, identify and acknowledge the possibility for a capacious and contextually meaningful understanding of philosophy that is distinct from what companies do of ethics. And this um, acknowledgement should be able to help us do three things on the one hand, it should help us understand what is wrong with some of the instances of ethics that we see in corporate settings. Um, secondly, it should help us articulate and imagine an institutional framework for moving beyond uh, corporate ethics and thinking about uh, moral, uh, the moral implications of new technologies and ways that are not necessarily intertwined with the power of tech platforms and tech companies and thirdly um, acknowledging the special role of moral philosophy should allow us to celebrate methodological plurality and what do i mean by that i mean that i'm not here to defend philosophy over every other field of inquiry that incorporates social concerns into technology but rather i'm here to defend the place of philosophy amongst a variety of other disciplines that can all together help us make progress in understanding what technology is doing Um, so the structure of my talk is i will first very briefly try to set out some basics about ethics and morality and moral philosophy I will then describe the rise of technology ethics and what I call and what Ben Wagner has called tech ethics washing. I will then um, talk about some critiques of ethics washing and some of their limits, the limits of these critiques in the form of what I call ethics washing. I then explore what moral philosophy can and cannot do. And this is both for philosophers and for non philosophers. Um, to explain really what we're talking about. Um, I assess some of these corporate ethics efforts, in particular, the Gibro and Mitchell uh, presence within Google, and the firing through a moral philosophy lens. And I conclude with some ways forward, what we should think, where we should go next. So here we go. Um, So what is ethics? Um, Philosopher has spent a lot of time distinguishing ethics from morality, and I am not necessarily interested in getting into the details of the possible nuances and distinctions between ethics and morality. I broadly take them as co-extensive in the paper. I also see political philosophy as being very much aligned with uh, my conception of moral philosophy and ethics. And I'm mostly interested in defining moral philosophy as a methodology that is principled and that is a mode of thinking uh, that allows us to evaluate uh, and rationalize value based disagreements. So, disagreements about the world, about value, um, and uh, disagreements about the place of technology, politics, institutions, and human life. Um, and so, with this definition, kind of big definition in mind, um, let's talk about the rise of tech ethics. So, what what happened in the last few years? And something that's really important to bear in mind is that um, the social dimensions of technology and the realization that technology has impacts on society and that society has impacts on technology is definitely not a product of the 21st century. Um, so, back, so, so these topics and the question of the impacts of technology on society were tackled by political economists in the 19th century. They were definitely relevant to the theorization and understanding of the first and second industrial revolutions. People like Louis Monfort, people like Karl Marx famously really thought deeply about the kinds of impacts and determinations that technological artifacts um, had on society and on human uh, flourishing. And later, in the 20th century, uh, a whole movement of scholars as part of the STS um, group started theorizing the political nature of science and technology. And political theorists and political economists also did that. Famously, London Winner and his famous piece, Do Artifacts Have Politics? And all of these literatures show us that technology um, encodes and embeds uh, human dimensions, the aspects of society, and that they're not neutral. And that in turn, these technologies, when deployed in society, have effects on the way humans then live life um so the two are mutually constitutive on the one hand society shapes technology and on the other hand technology shapes society and so what ai did was really just um reawaken um many of us to this aspect um not necessarily you know there are scholars who have been thinking so i really don't want to say that people were not thinking about this but i do think um AI has uh, brought this to the public in a way that perhaps was not the case before the advent of AI. And so now it's pretty clear to us that machine learning systems um, embed and encode certain structural uh, asymmetries, certain biases, certain power relations uh, within technological structures and that in turn, these technological structures uh, basically perpetuate biases and asymmetries. And so there's a need to reintroduce the social within the analysis of technology. There's a need to rethink the impacts of these technologies, and there's a need to rethink the way these technologies are both invented, created, and deployed. Um, and so, how do we do this um, in recent years? tech ethics emerged as a field that uh, really kind of rose to prominence uh, in in a variety of ways. So there's been kind of a push to um, include ethics training in the computer science curriculum, in a number of universities that's growing. There have been uh, civil society organizations, governments, private companies, transnational, and, and international um, entities like the OECD that have come together and formulated um, principles of artificial intelligence and encoded them in codes of conduct for industry and stakeholders. There have been a number of dedicated conferences, of dedicated initiatives. A number of research institutes have been created for the purpose of studying the ethics of AI. So all of these things have happened really recently um, and have uh, definitely fostered debate on these issues. At the same time, um, as kind of the growth of tech ethics has taken place, um, scholars like me, like uh, many of us potentially watching this talk, have realized that many of these bodies, conferences and institutes and initiatives were actually being made possible through corporate funding and that private companies were behind a lot of these efforts, um, influencing them, shaping them in more or less visible ways. And um, AI ethics uh, started becoming a business an industry. Um, lots of consultants started specializing um, in this area. Lawyers have uh, taken on AI ethics. As a specialty area in law firms, and within companies, companies have started building uh, corporate ethics boards, uh, like the Google, the famous Google ATIAC body, which uh, ended up not uh, being created for various reasons. There are teams of AI ethics researchers, like the Google team that Timnit Gebru and Margaret Mitchell were part of. And companies like Apple have started hiring in-house philosophers, famously Joshua Cohen. Um, and so all of these efforts have kind of started raising some eyebrows about what you know what is happening behind the language of ethics in companies and what is happening through the language of ethics. Um, and so some of what, sorry, what some of these um, um efforts have done is prompt criticism in um, academic circles. And some critics have started pointing fingers at ethics and asked why do we focus so much on ethics? Why is there an ethics hype when we could think about things like sociology or anthropology or history or psychology and how you know how these disciplines could help? Um, reintroduce the social within technology, and instead of doing that, many of us are just kind of focusing on ethics. And and so the question is: Is this language of ethics purely as a facade? And is there a reason why we should do ethics as opposed to these other uh, forms of uh, inquiry? And so these critiques have taken a number of forms. So, one kind of famous form is Ben Wagner's idea of ethics washing that ethics is mainly a rhetorical move aimed at reputational washing and cleaning a company's reputation uh, through the language, the kind of uh, positive language of ethics. That ethics is a way of preempting and avoiding law and regulation top down from the state that embedding ethics into development or into discourse around AI helps companies do what they want in that space, helps companies both fund and shape the debate. uh, But also, is fuzzy enough that it allows companies to manipulate that language, um, hire philosophers, and then do what they want or impose what they say to them. Um, and another critique that goes specifically to philosophy of the discipline is the idea that formalizing um, the question of the social and technology into ethical principles is kind of a formalistic move that enables the legitimation and normalization of power structures instead of allowing for their contestation. So what happens is that, You encode principles of AI ethics. You allow philosophers to deliberate on those questions. And once these principles have been formulated, and once these philosophers have deliberated and made a decision, those decisions actually favor companies. Um, But the companies can now wave, do hand-waving and say these decisions are ethical because they've been um, reached by a philosopher or through this deliberative body. And so, what I try to do in this paper is both recognize the importance of some of these critiques and say that it's really um, crucial that we take um, ethics washing efforts for what they are and that we acknowledge the importance of these critiques of corporate ethics. And at the same time, I try to limit those critiques or reassess those critiques by looking at some of their limits and and identifying a fallacy that I call ethics bashing, that is the criticism of corporate ethics and of tech ethics uh, with or kind of bundled with a failure to recognize the special role that moral philosophy can actually play alongside other methodologies in helping us rethink the role of technology in society. So, ethics does have a role, but we also need to recognize that it has the potential to be instrumentalized and co opted by private interests. And so, I see um, ethics bashing as taking kind of two shapes. So in one sense, ethics bashing is the conflation of an is and an ought. So you have the ought of moral philosophy that is the aspirational mode of inquiry, the aspirational practice of um, deliberating and seeking truth or seeking principled agreement. And that's moral philosophy or what I define as moral philosophy. And then on the other hand, you have the is, which is embedded instances of ethical practice in institutions, corporate initiatives, self-regulatory bodies, et cetera. And so the conflation of these two things in one critique of ethics or tech ethics is what I find misleading in some of the ways in which tech ethics has been talked about in academia, particularly, or on Twitter kind of outside the formal academic world. And another instance of ethics bashing is um, engaging in artificial dichotomy. Um, And so separating ethics from law, separating ethics from justice, separating ethics from politics, and somehow failing to recognize that um, ethics has to necessarily inform A capacious understanding of law, of justice, and of politics. And so, what the paper does, if anything, is really try to convey two basic insights. So, on the one hand, we need to understand ethics as necessarily connected with law, justice, politics. And we need to see ethics as a way of articulating, orienting, and reflecting on what just legal and political institutions have to be like and secondly the second insight is that ethics is everywhere and that we are all embedded in some form of ethical disagreement when we're thinking about technology and society and so it's impossible to reject sorry to reject ethics in bulk and the only thing we could do is acknowledge that we are within some form of ethical positioning And all we can do is try to do better ethics and and distinguish ourselves from bad ethics. Um, So that's what I try to do in the paper. So now um, I am going to go through some benefits and limits of moral philosophy, and that's uh, partly aimed at audiences of non-philosophers who want to know what moral philosophy can actually do for them. But it's also, I think, helpful for philosophers themselves to understand how to position themselves and what they can contribute and add to the debate. Um, Obviously, this is I'm a lawyer, so this is kind of me reasoning about different methodologies and what we can do. Um, So, some limits of moral philosophy what can moral philosophy not do for us? Where another way of putting it is how should we be criticizing moral philosophers and how should we be helping? ethicists and moral philosophers to do their work better to better contribute to tech ethics debates so here are five possible limits of moral philosophy as kind of a methodology for engaging in these questions the first is the idea that moral philosophy is abstract it's inaccessible it's unsuited to fast-paced technological environments. It's not the language you want to use to write an op-ed. Um, and so it's not the right language for thinking about these questions. And I think actually, um, I believe the opposite is true. I believe when moral philosophy does contribute is this kind of slow-paced reflection Um, And that's exactly what we need in the current world. Um, And so I think it's exactly necessary to take that step back that philosophy allows us to take. So I don't think that is a strong criticism or um, limit of philosophy. The second critique is that philosophy doesn't go enough far enough prescriptively that sometimes it's too abstract and high level and that it fails to prescribe outcomes where it fails to engage in detailed enough reflection on what actually happens on the ground. And those critiques often are leveled at a trolley problem uh, type uh, diagnostics or inquiries, or at codes of principles and AI ethics that are too high level to actually give us any answers on what should be done in practice. And I think these critiques are actually important. Um, and. Philosophers should reflect on how to make their work more context specific and more grounded, because especially when thinking about things like AI ethics, it is so political and it has so many immediate effects on society that it is um, somehow an avoidance of responsibility to not try to do the work of, of, of reaching those kind of more concrete. Uh, prescriptions and related to that, um, there's a question of the kind of harms that moral philosophy can do when applied in context. So a principle can seem uh, virtuous and great in in theory, but sometimes when you start applying it it can lead to um, very objectionable results. And so the advice or the theorizing of, a philosopher in an ivory tower or in, in a corporate ethics board is not necessarily a golden truth. And I think this criticism is important in the sense that it reminds us that philosophers are humans embedded in contexts and that the work is necessarily political. Um, so I think sometimes it's not helpful to think of it as political, uh, but I think it's really um, a necessity. And I think. Uh, especially in this field it's really difficult for philosophers to avoid responsibility on the outcomes of what they're doing um, a fourth criticism is that moral philosophy and the kind of formalistic thinking that i was talking about uh, before normalizes power structures and that kind of criticism often comes from disciplines that are not philosophy that see philosophical reasoning, as kind of a conservative way of justifying the status quo. And I believe that if you look inside philosophy, that's not exactly what is happening. I think philosophy is very much about contesting rigid norms, about rethinking the patterns and the structures uh, that we live within. Um, so actually, I, I think there is perhaps some interesting truth to this criticism, but there's also a lot that's not exact about it. And finally, the fifth criticism is that uh, sometimes philosophy can create appearances of objectivity for ideas that are mainly the subjective opinion of a specific philosopher. And there is some truth to that, but I also think that philosophy that is good is aware of its limits, it discloses its limits, and it's extremely humble. So it really depends on what kind of philosophy you're doing. But you know, philosophers can help us understand the limits of what they do. Now, let's talk about some benefits of moral philosophy. So four benefits that I identify in the paper are a moral philosophy is a clarificatory meta-level viewpoint that enables us to look at a disagreement from uh, the outside in some way. So not necessarily completely from the outside, but it allows us that kind of buffer to see different viewpoints and positions and value uh, value holdings uh, within the disagreement and can help us understand the debate um, better in that way. Moral philosophy is also an explanatory mode of argument, um, so it's different from um, manipulation is different from emotional or ideological disagreement. Um, and so it is often said that it's a principled, dialectic, rational method uh, for adjudicating disputes. Some people dislike the word rational, um, but the idea is that it's a way for different people to try to come to an agreement about what it is that they're disagreeing about. Moral philosophy is also a way to move from process to substance. So, a lot of the debates in tech ethics um, often gravitate around, say, whether an ethics board is sufficiently representative, whether Google's employee base is sufficiently diverse. Um, And those questions are really important. And I think moral philosophy can definitely help us navigate these questions. But I also think moral philosophy can go beyond that and help us ask other questions like, does the specific ethics board that we have uh, really help us solve the problems we need to solve? Or what does substantive equality requires? Maybe it doesn't just require uh, more diversity within one specific ethics board, but it might require not uh, deploying certain types of technologies, or it might require certain laws, or it might require Inventing a completely different kind of institution for auditing um, in the process of developing machine learning systems. And finally, and I think this is really important in the world we live in that is extremely polarized um, and where Twitter debates are so kind of prominent. Um, I think philosophy can encourage the building of common ground. And the creation or the kind of the formation of empathy. So, trying to understand the other side, trying to explain your position to the other side, and trying to bridge ideological disagreement. So, what I do now is um, based on these insights about what um, ethics and moral philosophy can contribute to the debate and what um, the special role of moral philosophy is in thinking about technology ethics, I now take those insights and try to apply them uh, to assess uh, some corporate ethics efforts that currently exist or have existed and see where this leads us. Obviously, I don't have time in this talk to do a lot in the paper, I do it more, But I'm going to briefly show you what moral philosophy can do for us. Uh, And if it doesn't satisfy you, I'm very happy to talk more about this. Um, So, there are two ways to value ethics efforts, be they corporate or other. One way is to think about um, the effects of those ethics efforts, the instrumental value of those efforts. So, we value say a corporate ethics board or some other um, institution because of the consequences that it brings about. It might lead to improved outcomes for minorities. It might lead to um, a better understanding of what's at stake. It might lead to profits for the company. So obviously these consequences can be instrumental or instrumentally valuable for society or they can be instrumentally valuable only for the company itself. So a lot of corporate ethics efforts are instrumentally valuable for the company because it brings them profits, it brings them reputation. And then another way of valuing ethics efforts is intrinsic. So we value these efforts in themselves as a process that is valuable independently. And that is a value that deliberating has for participants the value that the existence of the body can have for society independent of the consequences. Often we talk about science or about academia as being intrinsically valuable, even if research does not have tangible consequences, it's valuable to have research. Um, so applying these two ideas, I am going to think about um, the role of people like Timnit Gibru and Margaret Mitchell Within Google and ask whether the fact that they were part of these teams, the team, the AI ethics team at Google, is something that we should value and think is important, or something that we think maybe should just not exist. Um, and so the first question is: does Or does this form of corporate corporate ethics, so having these in-house researchers that focus on AI ethics, does that have instrumental value? And it's quite interesting because when I wrote this paper, I actually was, um, I almost tended to say, you know, these efforts have have almost no instrumental value. Um, Google or the company in question, fund them entirely, they have absolute decision-making power and veto power over whether or not they succeed, what uh, ends up kind of going to the public, uh, how much importance these efforts have, etc. So they're completely tailored, and they mostly benefit the company. They don't benefit society. So that was my analysis, but I do think that um, Having thought about this question a little bit more, I think there is an instrumental value for society. I think those firings have definitely started a conversation. I think even though these researchers in particular, many of the other researchers that are still at Google, cannot fully share their experiences, cannot fully contribute to the social good in the way we would like them to, I think it's important that some people are there and that some people push from the inside to change things progressively and incrementally so so i do think there is some value for society some positive consequence of having people within those corporations do that kind of work and i don't think that's a unique answer and i think you know it's really important for people to be outside of these companies as well doing these things but um, I don't think the value is zero of some people trying to do ethical work within the company. And secondly, do corporate ethics efforts have intrinsic value? And here I really think not. Uh, I think a lot of these efforts, bodies, uh, in house philosophers are really valued for the consequences and the benefits they can bring to the company. Um, there's very little independence. There's very little power that these philosophers or bodies have independent of the powers that are given to them by companies in their own self interest. And so I think many of the criticisms, or um, kind of the, yeah, the criticisms that we've heard about the need to give these researchers more independence, to allow researchers to have full freedom over their research agendas, or what they do, or what they think goes exactly to this point about intrinsic value. Unless you give researchers full freedom, the body itself is mainly an instrumental instance that is there to benefit someone that is funding it. Even though it does have some and finally there's a third concern or question that I think is important. And that is if um Corporates start using and weaponizing the language of ethics, that might um, dilute the language of ethics, lead to criticisms of moral philosophy that are not, um, that are not deserved, um, that are not necessarily aimed at moral philosophy there are actually criticisms that go to corporate ethics washing the criticisms that have nothing to do with the problems of moral philosophy and yet of corporate ethics dilute the possibilities of moral philosophy and the other uh, potential consequence of corporate ethics is that it might deprioritize or obscure inquiry into alternatives um so instead of focusing on uh, corporate ethics instead of focusing on house philosophers we could be thinking about alternative bodies we could be thinking about alternative institutions about laws etc um so conclusions um so one thing i want to say independent of the paper itself is that reflecting on the gibru and mitchell Firing, I do think it's important to have a variety of initiatives and approaches towards the problem of uh, bias, the problem of power and technology, the problem of the social impacts of technology on society. And in that sense, it is important to have efforts within, to have coordination within companies and to also think about efforts outside of corporate bodies. So both are important. I definitely think outside corporate bodies is uh, more powerful in leading change, in pushing for change, in fighting the sales quo. But it doesn't mean that we should exclude completely the efforts that are happening within. So with this said, uh, four conclusions from the paper. So, first, the paper asks people to both criticize ethics washing and the co optation and instrumentalization of ethics by corporate entities, and at the same time, understand the value of moral philosophy and ethics as principled methodologies for evaluating and contesting laws, policies, and institutions in relation to technology and beyond. Secondly, the moral value of ethics is contextual, so there's no kind of independent truth that is reached in a neutral AI ethics body, but every philosopher is situated and embedded in a certain political context and has effects um, and and the the consequences of their work is, is political in certain ways. Thirdly, there is no escape from ethics in thinking about the social good. So ethics is necessarily part of the equation, but at the same time, it's not the only way of thinking about the social good. There are lots of other different ways of thinking about the social good, and we should think about philosophy as one way and as a way that should interact with these other methodologies. And finally, um, we need to, so although, I've, I've kind of caveated that, saying that I do think there are some positive consequences of having um, AI ethicists within uh, within private companies. I do think we need to make more efforts in trying to isolate um, ethics effort, ethics reflections, reflections on the social impacts of technology from corporate influence, from corporate capture, from corporate funding, and we need to try to reinvent institutions that enable meaningful, capacious, and humble reflection and deliberation on the futures of technology and society. So with this, I am done, and I welcome your questions.